HCIC Next is a podcast focusing on how digital leaders are reshaping marketing and the healthcare industry. This podcast shares information about the innovations that are happening today in digital marketing and helps you understand how to apply what has worked in other health systems across the country to your very own organization. The episode you're about to hear was originally captured at the 2019 Healthcare Internet Conference in Orlando, Florida. This session was titled, Does Your Content Spark Joy? The Powerful Magic of Tidying Up Your Social Strategy. And it was presented by Brooke Hess, Content Strategist and Brand Manager, and Emily Stieber, Social Media Strategist, both with the Henry Ford Health System. Let's give it a listen. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, As mentioned, my name is Emily, um, and I'm the lead social strategist for Henry Ford Health System Detroit. Um, So my role is really overseeing the social media strategy, um, which includes social media content, analytics, service recovery, um, and other duties as assigned. I'm sure similar to most of you. Um, We're on all the major platforms, um, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, LinkedIn, um, and YouTube. And I'm Brooke Hess. I um, lead content strategy for the health system, which means that I um, manage our health and wellness blog, as well as um, content strategy for our service line uh, website, henryford.com, and then work very closely with the um, social team on content strategy as well. So, and I don't know um, just a little bit about Henry Ford Health System in case you're um, not aware, but it's based in Detroit, as you may have guessed. Founded uh, 100 years ago by uh, Henry Ford, the auto pioneer, and um, we have six hospitals, a little over 31,000 employees, you know, clinics across um, southeast and south central Michigan. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's a little bit about us. I, we provide just for a, a background about, I think, $450 million in uncompensated care a year. So, so um, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with Marie Kondo and her book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Um, And the idea behind it is that, you know, decluttering your home um, and being mindful about your possessions can help um, declutter your mind, have a a more clear um, experience. And it, it sounds a little gimmicky, and I think some people think it's silly, but there is actually a correlation between um organizing your space and your mental health. And um, we were uh, thinking about this recently and just how, you know, I think, I don't know if anybody's done the KonMari method as it's known for your home to tidy up. (laughs) But, um, you know, the idea is just being really um, conscious about the possessions that you have and um, mindful. And so... um, we were thinking recently about how, you know, as we're trying to organize our social content that, you know, we could use a little tidying up ourselves and that, you know, sort of the same lessons apply. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, you have those possessions that aren't serving you like they once did. You know, maybe you've got the clothes or accessories that you used to wear for your nightlife before you had kids and you stopped having a nightlife or, um you know, mementos from trips or life events or exes or, you know, that no longer hold the significance that they used to. And so those items are just taking up space. And so um, I think the same can be applied to our, our social content. Um, 
what once maybe worked really well has become stale and something that people have seen many times over. Or as we know, the algorithms change. So something that used to be successful is, is no longer serving us. So we think we can um, use that as a um, sort of lesson in how we can clean up our social strategy and make sure that we're sparking joys, sparking joy um, for our followers. So the first thing that we did is we took an inventory of our social content to see what really sparked joy, not only for us, but more importantly for our followers, um, based on our analytics and feedbacks and comments. Um, we kind of joke on our social team that goal, that uh, social gold is babies and dogs, and so we try to take advantage of that as much as possible. And so I know, similar to probably many of you, we did an annual NICU post. Um, this is this year's post that just went out. Um, for Halloween this year. Um, this is actually, I checked it this morning, it's already reaching, I think, 8.3 million people organically. Last year it went viral. Um, it was picked up by good housekeeping people, countless local news media. I think it reached close to 14 million people all organically, just on Facebook, not including our other channels. Um, so every year it's just, it's so touching and so heartwarming. Um, and so, you know, any time we can kind of capitalize on babies, we take the opportunity to do so. Um, other joy-sparking content for us includes anytime we can feature our employees. Um, this is actually a, a clip from a video. We produced multiple videos, our social team, this year for Doctors' Day. Um, we actually, our social team, um, decided to run a campaign because um, we didn't uh, feel that the system was running anything large enough that could be really social-worthy. So we allowed the opportunity for our patients, employees, and whomever would like to, to provide thoughtful thank-you notes to their providers. Um, and we were blown away with the responses we got. We got hundreds and hundreds of notes, um, many of which we were crying in our offices reading. Um, and so what we did is we wrote a personalized note from our social team, and we waited till Doctor's Day, and then we emailed them individually um, to each doctor with the note. Some doctors had five to ten notes. Um, it was really cool to see. And then we went through those hundreds of notes and hand-selected um, what we felt were the most impactful, were the most moving, and then we got our photo and our video team together, and we hand-delivered those notes to those doctors and got their raw emotion on video and photo reading those notes for the first time. And I think there's a difference in showcasing your employees, which we've done many times, just to showcase your employees. Um, I think why this in particular does well is because it really shines through, both in the photos and the video, how much these docs care about these patients. They're crying, they're pausing, they're getting choked up, they can't talk. They're having sidebars about how wonderful that patient or how, you know, how their family really carried through them, them through that experience. So um, I think you're able to highlight how competent and caring your doctors are by wishing them a happy doctor's day without directly saying it and making it all about them. Um, in this case, it was more about the patients. Um, so whenever we can do that, we try to highlight our employees, but do it through kind of an indirect way that's focusing more on the patient. <clears throat> we produce about two recipe videos a month, um, and it's just kind of a change in pace of content. It doesn't have a clear or hard CTA. Um, it's not, you know, necessarily leading back to new MRNs, um, but it's a good change of pace for our content, and they always perform really well. Um, <clears throat> so we, we're, we decided to continue with our recipe videos. Um, User-generated content, or UGC, is a huge part of our strategy, strategy um, especially on Instagram. And so we're constantly searching geolocations, hashtags, um, and looking for, geo, um, excuse me, looking for UGC every day. Um, and it, it's consistently performing well. And what we like about it is it's not what's important to us. 
UGC tells you exactly what's important to your followers. Um, and, and so, you know, it's interesting. And we've gotten a lot of ideas from UGC. Maybe there's trends within your UGC, um, you know, and, and so then you can capitalize that and produce your own content based on what you're seeing. Um, behind the scenes photos um, always do really well for us. So whether that's in the OR, whether it's like this picture where you're showing someone in training, whether that's a behind the scenes moment with our media and all the cameras interviewing someone, it could be a touching moment between a patient and a doc that you might not see elsewhere. Any photos that really, or videos, that really kind of make people feel like they're on the inside of the hospital and seeing what other people can't see, um, they, they spark joy um, for our content. And lastly, dogs. Um, but holidays. So in the past, we weren't necessarily super strategic or proactive about holidays. Um, and we've made an effort within the last year or so to be more proactive and strategic about holidays. And so we decided to get a group together quarterly. And the group consists of photo, video, graphic design, a handful of marketing folks that we feel are really creative and passionate about social. And I bring together a list of holidays, and we hash through what we feel will have uh, meaning, what we think we could do something fun with without sometimes spending too much time on it. This is an example from Motor City Pride Week. We ordered a $5 bandana off of Amazon, got a quick photo with our therapy dog, posted on all of our channels, and it did, it did pretty well. Um, there's actually a photo shoot taking place actually literally right now um, where we're having a potty with all of our therapy dogs for New Year's Eve. Um, and so um, just fun things that we can do that, again, it doesn't have a hard CTA. It's not going to help bring in MRNs, but it's fostering those relationships, um, and it's, it's creating content um, and helping that content mix. So Marie Kondo outlines, I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with her philosophy, but she outlines six major goals. And we took those six major goals and we're trying to apply them to our own social strategy. Um, so the first being set your goals. Um, and so this is crucial. So each year, um, you know, we uh, aim to define purpose, goals, and metrics to measure success. So what we do is we put together um, what we kind of call jokingly, but not so jokingly, our Bible. And so it's our strategy document. And so we break our strategy document down by overall success and metrics, um, as well as channel. So we have our demographics for each channel and how they've changed year to year. It's surprising to see, because we do this every year, how our demographics on our particular channels change. Um, we develop our goals and then the tactics to choose to meet those goals. Um, I'm not sure if you guys can relate, but the, one of the best parts about social, but the most challenging parts about social is it's so visible in public, right? So. I mean, I'm getting emails all day, every day with ideas that are so wonderful, but we have a team of 1.5. Um, and so we can only do so much. And so this strategy document is really important for us to say, you know, this year for Facebook, we're going to do more Facebook Lives. We're going to, you know, what are our tactics that we're going to focus on this year? And if they're not a focus, it doesn't mean that we can't do it, but at least gives us a roadmap for the year. And then we continuously look back at that strategy document. <clears throat> and then we have a monthly scorecard. And the monthly scorecard is actually a manual um, scorecard that we put together. It's just an Excel, but it's really detailed. And that scorecard is shared to anyone who really works closely with a social team and cares about our data and our analytics. And we look at that monthly to see what posts are doing well, which aren't, how we need to move our strategy. Um, but again, it's, it's really detailed. So what we did within the last few years is we kind of took a step back and we've created a quarterly infographic, which is what you see right here. Um, and the quarterly infographic is what we send to the broader communications team. It's what we send to C-suite leadership. And it's, 
a little bit of a bird's eye view of our most important metrics. And so um, this is a, a, we have a few screenshots. This is by channel, um, how we're, again, how we're hitting our engagement rates that we set in that strategy document. Um, follower growth, clicks, quarterly totals. So we pick key conversions that are important to us. Um, I'm sure they'll vary by organizations, but as a team, this is what we selected. Um, and then, oh, sorry, it's okay. <laughs> um, and then we um, we also have meetings um, to make sure that we're hitting these goals and assess them. So the first being a weekly meeting with our admin calls. So an admin is anyone who contributes to social on a regular basis. So every Monday we meet. It's a quick phone call, and we talk about what we posted last week, what the analytics were, why we maybe think that they did well, or maybe why they didn't do well and what we need to do to move our strategy moving forward. And then we talk about the week ahead, which is really nice for us all to be on one call because a lot of times we have content that may be overlapping. If so-and-so, so it's important they post on a Friday and you know, just to make sure we're all on the same page. Um, and then we have a monthly work group, which I think is our most valuable asset as a team. Um, that's where we go over that really in-depth scorecard. We have a competitor, bench, a competitor scorecard. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> um, and it, again, it's really detailed. So in this work group, it's comprised of photo, graphic design, video, key marketing stakeholders, um, someone from our analytics team, someone from web, someone from PR and marketing. Um, and we talk about industry standards. We talk about any algorithm changes. We talk about any inspiration. So everyone knows there's a, a section in the agenda where people can bring inspiration both in, within healthcare or outside of healthcare that they're seeing that we may think that we can apply to our content. We talk about data is a big part of it. Um, we talk about a lot about writing. Um, we have AP style goals, um, you know, and we really try to be consistent because we have so many people contributing. Um, and I just was really obnoxious last week and made the, the our goals neon yellow and laminate for everyone because. I mean, are we doing one space after a period or two? Are we saying we versus are? Are we, um, you know, capitalizing? We need to be consistent. If we have multiple people writing for the channel, um, there has to be consistency. So this is where we kind of have those housekeeping reminders where we can say, hey, guys, I'm seeing we're, we're not saying our and we. We're saying the hospital. You know, things that we want to be consistent about. Um, so it's a, a place for us all to kind of um, join and talk about that. And then we talk about the editorial candle calendar for the month ahead. And then lastly, we have a quarterly advisory team, um, which is comprised of leadership from human resources, legal, risk, um, marketing, and then we have um, clinical leadership. So we have clinical leadership from all of our main specialties um, that we're focusing on from a system strategic level, and then we have nursing representation as well. And the purpose of the quarterly meeting is to really go over policy and education, um, and also to get feedback from the front line about you know, what they're seeing, what they feel works, what they feel does not work. They're very vocal. Um, these are chairs. These are, um, so it's been invaluable to us because they are not shy with just saying that we need to see more of this. Um, I feel like that was an Amber alert. Yeah. That was going off earlier. Sorry. Um, and so it, it's been really invaluable. What we're, we've been working on most recently is for Twitter specifically. So our docs are just more active than ever on Twitter. And we've really tried to pull together a strategy for referring physicians and for doctors specifically. Um, but they want to share scans. They want to share MRIs. They want to share things that are really cool cases because they see some of the most complex cases in our area. Um, and they oftentimes think that it's not violating HIPAA, it's not violating PHI because it doesn't have an MRN. It doesn't show a face. 
Um, it doesn't see, you know, all the basics, but they're, after working very closely with our um, risk team, I've learned that you, many people are violating um, HIPAA or PHI when they don't realize it. So what we've done is we're working on finalizing um, an authorization form that's now been merged with our, our typical marketing patient authorization form, where the doctors can have the patient sign it so they have permission to post on their personal professional pages, um, which is a, a new step for our organization at least. Um, so then we need to discuss the rollout of that, education of that, how we make doctors aware of that, of course. The second step in Marie Kondo's um, plan is to really commit to tidying up. And so um, I think all of us can relate to that, why that's so important if you've ever started to clean out that closet and then given up halfway through or you've taking time to organize the pantry, and then a week later, it's a mess again. So really making that strong commitment to um, keep your content organized and uh, clutter-free is really important. And, you know, for a few reasons. I think the first, as I'm sure everyone knows, bad content harms your good content. You know, especially with Facebook, the algorithm is going to reward you um, when you have good content out there and serve your other content more frequently and give you a you know wider reach um, than when you're sharing content that's kind of ho-hum and average. And so um, it's really important to make sure that you've got good content so that you know all the stuff that you're really excited about that you know is really tied to your strategy is going to perform well. Um, the next thing I think is um, Making sure that you're tidying up or you know keeping your uh, channels organized is that um, moving forward you'll have a clearer vision for your content. I think um, a great example that for us has been applying UTM codes to um, our social posts, which I know some, probably some of you are doing, and and we were doing it before, but in um, kind of pockets. So when it something was tied to a specific campaign, so maybe we were tracking the um, social posts that went along with our overall breast cancer campaign, or maybe there was a specific social campaign for sports medicine. So we were, we were tracking the results of those with the UTM codes, but um, there was a lot of posts going out that weren't being in, tracked. And um, one of the members of our analytics team, who's the person who create generates all those codes so that were nice and clean because it was getting messy but so you know Hannah generates those codes and she noticed that you know we could be tracking a lot more um, so we created a master campaign for all of that miscellaneous content you know it's a little bit of the the junk drawer if you will but um, all that content has great value and so by applying those UTM codes to a master campaign we're able to track them better and then you know, show better results, show the impact that social is making. So this um, graph shows our um, sessions to our website um, from social. And so the bottom line is 2018, um, and then the top line is 2019. And we were already, you know, exceeding um, the, the traffic that we were driving to the website from last year. But you can see in April where there's that tick is when we started applying those UTM codes to all of our posts. And so we're just getting credit for the work that we were doing. You know, it kind of helps us show the value of social and um, helps us, you know, really make the case for why it's so important to our overall, you know, marketing goals. Um, additionally, I think it helped our team, all the people who are contributing content, be a little bit more mindful of including clear calls to action. You know, it's not always appropriate to include a link in a post, but, you know, where we can, we're... Um, 
we're making sure that our posts are a lot more actionable, that they have a, you know, there's a clear next step for patients to get, you know, more information or to sign up for a class or whatever the case may be. Um, so I think not only are we getting better credit for our work, but we're doing better work. So I think that, you know, it's kind of, bear, you know, the, the graph sort of bears that out. Um, and then finally, I think cluttering, cluttered messaging just means that your brand has less impact. I mean, when you work for a large organization, you can't be all things to all people, and there's a lot of stakeholders and messages competing for that valuable real estate on your social channels. And so um, if you have this kind of random mix of content, there's no way that your, you know, your clear brand voice is going to be coming through. And so you know, as marketers... It's not always easy, and we don't always do a perfect job at it for sure, but um, you know, we really try to view ourselves as the gatekeeper of that brand, and so we need to make sure that we're um, um, you know, keeping it uh, clear. So another reason to commit to tidying up. So um, the next step from Marie Kondo is imagining your ideal lifestyle. So we um, applied, of course, in this context to imagining your ideal brand. So. What do we want our customers and people in our community saying about us, um, believing about us, sharing about us? What are the few um, words that we would want to them to, you know, pop right into their mind when they're thinking about our brand? Um, and so, for for Henry Ford, um, our tagline is "All for You," and our brand promise is all about, you know making sure everything that we do, the patient is at the center of, and we find personalized, unique solutions for every patient's situation. And so we've tried to weave that um, message throughout all of our communication. So from our um, TV ads where we featured you know, the story of Helen, who um, had a cardiac procedure where our doctors used 3D imaging to really specifically you know, know her anatomy. This was a unique surgery to Helen. Um, to some of our more recent... Um, social campaign, so we've been promoting our virtual OB visits. And so this um, is an Instagram post featuring Latricia, who um, we talk about how she used these virtual OB visits to um, make her whole family, so her older children and her husband, everyone could be part of her um, prenatal visits and, and really be excited about this new baby that was joining their family. Um, and then, you know, we've had other examples where it's, you know, focusing on how vital it was for a um, woman who's really busy and isn't able to get to her um, OB appointment. So it's, it's all based on that, that patient. They're, you know, it's, it's how we're framing those messages and making sure that we're keeping the patient at the heart of it. Um, another example, um, I don't know if anyone else does DAISY Awards, but um, so, I mean, they're great awards, and there was kind of this expectation that we would, um, every time a nurse was honored with a DAISY Award, we'd share it on social. Um, and they weren't always performing that well, and, and sometimes we would get these submissions where, um, well, it's very nice, and I have no doubt that that nurse made a huge impact on that patient's life. They, we'd get um, submissions like, she was so caring and she really took the time to be with me and my family. You know, it was just like there's not much there and that's kind of what people expect from our nurses, right? So um, we really challenged the social admins from the hospitals who were um, submitting those to us to really dig a little deeper to find out the background of that story. I mean, they're submitted by um, patients, so let's find out what that specific example was that inspired them to reach out to us to nominate this nurse for the award. And so we've been able to get more pictures, just be able to tell those stories. Um, 
get more pictures, you know, someone hugging their nurse or, you know, even have done a few short videos featuring the story. And, um, you know, those, those posts tend to do well, you know, that's featuring one of our employees that people know. But again, we're, we're trying to make sure that we're keeping the patients at the heart of it because that's, you know, what our brand promise is. Um, and as the blog editor, I also, you know, when people approach me wanting to share news about a new procedure that they're doing or, um, you know, a certain service line needs to build volume, I always try to think about how, you know, we're not going to use our blog to sell people on a procedure. We have to make sure that all of our content has that value for them and, you know, that we're framing it in a way that's useful for them and not just, you know, bragging about something that we've done or, you know, selling something to them because we know that's not going to get um, engagement. So... Um, when thinking about brands that do this really well, um, I thought about you know something outside of our industry is another Detroit brand, Carhartt. Um, so they're you know founded like us more than a hundred years ago in Detroit, um, and I think they do a great job of really weaving um, who they are into all of their social strategy, um, and they they they've become this iconic brand that kind of transcends sort of their traditional customers. They appeal to a broad array of people from urban to rural, um, you know, young and old, blue states, red states, you know, they're kind of iconic across the board. And, um, and so I was thinking really about, like, what does Carhartt stand for? I don't know if anybody is familiar or has any ideas. Like, what, what would you say a word that comes to mind when you think about Carhartt? Quality. Quality? That's a good one, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I was thinking about durable hardworking. They have a legacy, you know, grandpa wore the Carhartt coveralls to fix the car and then dad did and now, you know, you are and your ch children may be wearing Carhartt. Um, so there's that legacy and it's just really unpretentious. Um, and so I think when you look at some of their social content, you can see those um, themes weave throughout it. I mean, obviously they're trying to sell a product. They're selling this, um, you know, apparel. But, you know, the picture is not just of the jacket. It's of the jacket splattered with mud. <laughs> you know, it's the waterproof jacket that's splattered with mud. It's a hard-working jacket. Um, you know, they have a cute baby picture, but um, wearing his um, Carhartt overalls. It's got a bucket on his head, and it says Mondays. But, um, like, the setting of that picture, I think, is really consistent with their brand. It's not, you know, in some fancy kitchen. It's out on the porch, these kind of threadbare floorboards, you know, it's really consistent. Um, this, the video um, that they produced for Labor Day, so it was all about um, thanking, what's the real meaning behind Labor Day, thanking hardworking people who are making Labor Day possible. Um, it's a great video, and I'm not, I'm pretty sure that it was not an accident that they chose Labor Day as the holiday that they were going to recognize, because it's all about hard work. Um, and some a recent like this film that they a short film that they did with uh, Jason Momoa I think I'm saying that right um, from Game of Thrones allegedly I don't watch it but yes <laughs> and um, Aquaman um, so I, what I read was that he approached them because he was so passionate about the brand and um, so they created this beautiful documentary film all about creativity and hard work and how you know those are the values that his mother taught him and now he's trying to pass on to his kids and they're all wearing their 
Carhartt gear, building a skate ramp in their backyard or wherever they are. And, um, and he's wearing these Carhartt pants that he's had allegedly since he was 19 that are all paint splattered and, you know, they're hard working, um, items of clothing. So, um, and then they're featuring, you know, women in non-traditional roles, um, blog content about makers, you know, really taking some of that hard work into this, the new trend of, you know, that maker culture, people who are getting back to, you know, farming and things like that. So um, I think they just do a, a great job of weaving those messages. I mean, you look through all this, like, hardworking, durable, unpretentious, it's all there. And so I think it's a great example for us to kind of use as inspiration. And I should, we should say, we do not work for Carhartt. We do no affiliations. <laughs> I don't even own any. I mean, like, Carhartt. besides a we couple just little. We admire them. Yeah. Um, so Marie Kondo's fourth principle or step is um, finish discarding first. Um, so getting rid of your, your crap. Um, so, you know, we took a look at how we can apply that to our social strategy. And the first is that it's okay to say no. Um, this is one of the most important lessons I think we've learned as a team, and it's also one of the hardest lessons we've learned, because it's not easy. I mean, politically, um, you've got a lot coming at you. It's not always easy to say no. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes it's okay. So we started saying no to awards. You know, we can't, can't post awards everywhere, um, and awards that are not, you know, super, super specific, or maybe our patients wouldn't care about. Um, say yeah, no it's to, not about us. It's not about <laughs> us. So again, say no to overly promotional content or boastful content. Say no um, to things that are really, really long and lengthy in caption. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting other things. But um, you know, it's OK to say no. And then using no but, which has become our favorite phrase. You know, it's, it's our job to work with these key stakeholders to, to make them shine and to bring business to their specialties. So how can we make that? If they, they come up to us an idea, can we make it into a video? Can we make it into an infographic for an Instagram story? Can we completely rewrite it and change the angle of it so it's more patient-focused like we've been talking about it? Can we just change the channel? Maybe it's more appropriate for a certain channel and then rewrite it a bit. So um, no but is something that we use multiple times a day. Um, and then knowing what your gut and your gut won't perform. I mean, you guys know these channels. You see it every day. You're looking at the analytics. Oftentimes, you'll get something, and you just know, like, this is going to tank. But the chair set me it, or you know, whatever the case may be. But trust your gut. You know when you see something if it's going to tank. Maybe it's a really bad photo, whether it's a really cheesy stock photo, or it's a photo from someone's iPhone that's super grainy and you know just isn't emotionally engaging. Or maybe, again, it's a really long caption. Or you know, just trust your gut, and it's OK to do that. And then use that no but and see how you can work with them to feature them at the next event. Or you know, there's always other opportunities. And I found that when we deliver the soft message with a no but um, and try to meet with them and see about other content they may have available, um, send a photographer out for a totally different event or a different um, kind of angle, um, they're happy. They just want their specialty featured. Um, so. It's okay to, to discard. And then for us, UT, UTM codes have been huge um, for helping us support what we're saying no to. Um, analytics, we've always tried to lean on when we have to say no. But UTM, since we've started applying UTMs to everything, has been really helpful. Specifically, we've added terms to each UTM. Um, this screenshot here, um, I just pulled by term. And so you can tell at a really quick glance. I know we're all super busy, but I can pull this up. Um, forgot to mention our. Hannah, our wonderful analytics lead, put together a brand new um, stats dashboard with Google Analytics that we can just 
we have bookmarks we can easily access um, within seconds. And so we can quickly take a look based on term to see what content's performing and why. Um, with paid social, we do a lot of A-B testing, and it's actually a requirement if you want to do a social ad that you have to A-B test it. Um, and we do some A-B testing organically as well. Um, so, yeah, using your analytics to say, and I'll also say, you know what, let's give it a try and see how it does, and then let's look at the analytics. And if the analytics don't perform, I will send them the analytics and say, unfortunately, we're going to have to change course for next time. Because as Brooke mentioned, bad content harms good content. So if you have a post that bombs, your next post, no matter how good it is, I don't care if it's Nikki Babies, Facebook's not going to show it to as many people. So if you have a series of five, six posts that are just okay, average, or bad, your next po you're, you're setting yourself up for failure, and the algorithm's not going to feature your content. So it's really important to, to make sure you're discarding content. Um, her fifth step or principle is tidy by category, not location. And I think it's important to remember that it's okay. You don't have to discard everything. You don't have to throw everything away. Sometimes you have to find a new location for it. So this is something we put together a handful of years ago um, that we try to just kind of update and tweak year to year. But it's really for the benefit of people who are working with us, with both our colleagues and then externally. Um, and so it's, again, for those no but conversations, it's helping people understand what content is a fit for which uh, channel. So for example, those awards, those awards only go on Twitter and LinkedIn. We don't post awards on Facebook unless it's a system-wide huge award for US News. You know, All of those awards, it goes on Twitter because we have so many docs on Twitter, and if it's a clinical award, they'll appreciate it and get it, and it does well, or LinkedIn because it's an appropriate place. Um, if it's referring physician content, it's just going to go on Twitter. Um, so having certain guidelines for each channel, again, helps with those conversations so we can say, you know what? It was submitted for Facebook, but I think we can write, rewrite it in a shorter, catchier way and put it on Twitter. You know, so these guidelines have been really helpful, again, so people can understand where we're coming from, um, from a social strategy standpoint. So how do you ensure that your content sparks joy? Um, I know I talked about trusting your gut, and that is really important, but um, I've learned the hard way um, that you can't just create content based on what you think will do well because you like it. Because your followers, may, your target audience per channel may be different than you. Um, so I know, for example, if I'm creating content for me, um, our Facebook audience, is that's a different target audience than myself. So um, really learning and understanding your target audience, whether that's doing surveys, whether that's meeting with people, understanding what they want to see. And again, it's different per channel. And then creating content for those followers. Um, and then forming meaningful relationships with your followers. And we've done that through three key ways. The first being proactive service recovery. If you can click next. So um, we have an on-call team. And so it's made up of five of us. And we watch the channels. We usually take two weeks at a time. And we watch the channels at nights and on weekends. And the expectation is not that you're just responding to reviews and complaints. You are watching the channels. So you are responding to compliments, um, not just liking them. You are responding to comments because that helps algorithm. So for example, for our NICU post, we always block time on our calendar because every single share so we had like 35,000 shares. We're trying to like it. Every single picture that someone posts, oh, my son graduated from high school. Here's his, and he was a NICU grad. Here's his picture. Oh, Sharon, beautiful. Like we are personalizing every compliment because Facebook counts that as an engagement. So it's going to help within the algorithm. So responding to compliments and then questions, we found that questions take up a lot of our time. 
so I see that X location is having an event. I live in this area. Are you guys going to have an event? I'm interested in knee replacement, having a knee replacement surgery, and I live in X town. Who's the best doc? Um, and so we have kind of found ourselves, you know, reaching out to key service people throughout the system, um, looking at henryford.com and finding those answers. Um, and so one thing that we've done within the past year, again, going back to those UTM codes, is we've created a specific UTM code for each contact us form for each channel. So anytime we're doing service recovery, um, we are attaching a UTM code. We have a link that we copy and paste that's different for each channel. Um, now someone does have to actually complete that contact us form, so we know that it's not 100% of our efforts, but it's better than nothing. Again, just show leadership just how much time and how much effort is going into the service recovery, because that could be at least one yeah. FTE. We for could sure. stand some more resources. Yeah, to get some more resources. <laughs> um, and so, um, and then we also created a separate UTM for questions. So, anytime we're able to answer a question and link them back to .com, we have a UTM code that we amend to that link back on HenryFord.com again to help us better track. Um, and there's nothing more rewarding than seeing someone really upset going back and forth, and you can catch them right when they're upset, and then having them change. You know, this was one that this person was like livid, and then they post this. So, and having those examples for leadership, it really shows the value. People expect a response right away, so it's important that we're monitoring it, and that's how we're ultimately creating more meaningful relationships, or at least trying to. The next are influencers. So, currently in the market, we have a um, heart influencer campaign and a breast cancer influencer campaign, and we were discussing doing um, influencer campaigns just from our social team that are a little bit more um, grassroots. Um, and we found the influencer campaigns have been very successful. Um, I mean, I'm sure you guys know, and I've heard other people talk about it at this conference, that people aren't caring as much about the Kim Kardashians. They just don't. They want to hear from people that are like them. So when I'm researching a product, I'm looking for moms who are dealing, you know, you're looking for people who are like you that you can relate to. Um, so that's what we've done with these. And then lastly, UGC. It's been a really great way to um, create relationships with their followers. We actually have one patient, she's a brain tumor survivor, and she posts a lot on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and we've just, my colleague and I, we just, we've interacted with her so many times because she, anytime she's at a visit, anytime, you know, we wish her well. And so we started talking back and forth and she asked who was actually on the other end of this. And so um, by Christmas time, she sent both my colleague and I a really sweet Christmas card. Um, so, you know, these are the relationships that matter. Um, one at a time building those, that's gonna help, again, your bottom line. Um, but I think the reality of as much as we try to spark joy with our followers, the reality of it um, is we are a healthcare system. Um, often people don't want to think about being sick or um, healthcare, and so um, you know it's okay that the, every piece of content doesn't spark joy. But let's make sure that it has a clear purpose. You know, just like again, bringing it back not to use the metaphor too much, but bringing it back to Marie Kondo, you know, she's not saying to throw out your dish towels because they don't give you joy. You really need those. They serve a purpose. So um, so when we're creating content, let's really ask ourselves, um, what purpose is it serving? Are we um, educating people on a topic? Are we answering that burning question that they're asking? Um, is it relevant, digestible, compelling in some way? And I think about it um, a lot with the kind of blog content that I'm choosing. Um, so 
when we launched our blog a few years ago, we would, you know, share every piece of content on social, and we we still share, a, a, you know, the majority of it. But um, I've noticed <laughs> over time that it's tending to perform; um, it doesn't perform as well, and that the traffic that's coming to my blog site isn't coming from social. It's not really having as much impact. You know, search and email, you know, is just uh, the way that I'm getting traffic now. So. Um, I'm trying to be more, you know, and, and link sharing, essentially when I'm sharing a blog article, it's a link, and that's the least <laughs> rewarded type of content um, on Facebook. And so um, I've really been, so our team, as we're brainstorming topics, really trying to make sure that we're um, conscious of trends, um, answering those burning questions that people are asking, you know, whether it's the you know keto diet and the drawbacks of that um or um vaping and you know what's going on with all of those you know lung lung disease so um really capitalizing on those trends and using that for social versus some of the more basic content that you know like it serves a purpose you know having an article about COPD or some um condition um can be really valuable but maybe it's not totally appropriate for social. So um, really rethinking sort of how I'm distributing my blog content and, and deciding if it's a fit for social. But also then asking um, my team, this challenge to myself and my team is um, when we are sharing that blog content on social, um, finding unique ways to do it. Finding, you know, so we've, we are experimenting with creating short videos based on some of the blog content. So we're sharing this little short video, and then there's a link either in the post or in the comment to the full article so that hopefully, you know, Facebook is going to recognize that as a video and not as a link share, but we're still driving traffic to our site. Or, um, you know, with the recipe videos, I mean, those perform well. They're videos, not links anyway, but they're, you know, they perform really well, but... Um, our, you know, one of our colleagues and one of my staff members, they've done such a great job with really repurposing that content. It's performing well. So what other ways can we do it? So we create Instagram stories with little snippets of, um, you know, photos or little clips from the, the video that then people can swipe up and, and link right to the article. Or, um, you know, my, my team member, Susanna, has created a great, you know, Pinterest strategy for sharing those all over Pinterest. And, and you know, it's really bearing some results for us. So kind of rethinking some of that, you know, I don't, I, I feel like the blog is important, but I don't want to harm that good content with, with this content if it's not going and, to perform well. And another thing I would add that I know you and I have both talked about from a blog standpoint, but also from a social standpoint is quantity over quality. And I think it's something that our team struggles with. I mean, I think I would have to look at the infographic, but I think we produce close to 5,000 or probably more because we weren't able to track everyone. So post uh, last year, and that's wonderful. And I know that our service lines, especially, want that content. So another, as soon as you finish a patient story, where's the next one? Where's the next one? But you know, can we cut our content down a little bit and produce less stories? And that's a, a goal that we're um, kind of exploring for next year. And just make sure that's really good. Rather than just doing a patient story, can we do a patient story, a video, an Instagram story? Can we have them talk about their experience and post on their Like, can we be stretching our content more and producing less content that's just more engaging, that we're spending more time on? Because there's only so many hours in a day, and I know everyone's just stretched so thin. So how can we just be a little bit more strategic, even if it means producing a little bit less content, but that may, you know, perform better on the blog and then on social? Um. 
follow a lot of healthcare blogs, maybe not surprising. And um, I thought a really great example that I saw recently from Northwell Health, which is a blog that I follow. I don't know if anybody from Northwell is here, but um, they do such a good job with their blog. Um, and earlier this year, it was just a really interesting um, series that they did about the opioid epidemic. And it was interesting to me to see um, their healthcare blog kind of used in a more um, like public health advocacy role. Um, and it was just so well produced, incredibly creative, um, told these, you know, really um, raw stories about patients, you know, and didn't all end well, um, really taking a look at the epidemic and the root causes of it, including, you know, some of the blame that you know, the healthcare systems, you know, healthcare overall should, you know, um, take. But it was just so well done. It had interactive graphics, so I could from, you know, even though Northwell's in New York, I could, you know, plug in my number for my zip code and see the number of overdoses in Michigan. Um, so I just thought they did such a great job, just beautiful photos. Um, so it was just interesting to see how other people are pushing the envelope and using their social in different ways. Um, I'd be really curious to talk to anyone from Northwell if you know anyone, like how well it performed. and Because um, I just thought it was like such a great yeah. example of doing something different and unique that I haven't seen a lot of other um, healthcare brands doing. And another example of spending time Oh yeah, something well. Like Doing I can't an even imagine how much time yeah. would have went into that, but they did one thing really, really well. Yeah, which I and stretched it over over weeks. I mean, it wasn't right. like just a one-time thing. So, so finally, I don't know if anybody is familiar with the Marie Kondo concept, but one of the things I think it's um, sort of made fun of a little bit, but is saying thank you, and so honoring those possessions that you're saying goodbye to, and thanking them for their role in your life. Um, and so we thought it was only appropriate to say thank you to some of that content that we're, you know, trying to say goodbye to. So, you know, thanking that uh, obscure post about that, or that post about an obscure ward that this doctor won from an obscure organization so that he can trot out that headshot, you know, from 10 years ago and 30 pounds ago that he refuses to get updated. Um, saying thank you to that overly wordy, <laughs> verbose patient story that you know had no emotional connection. So you didn't tear up while you were looking at your phone in the grocery store. You just passed, scrolled right on by it. So, um, and then finally, you know, thank you to bad stock photos. I mean, we don't use stock photos as very much on our channels. Mostly, it's me and my blog content. And I think it's come a long way in the past several years. I don't know if you all agree. The the options are a lot better, but you know, like maybe we should say thank you to stock bad stock photos for teaching us that salads are hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that you're never too old for pickyback rides. <laughs> and this is my personal favorite. You might want to take that test a little sooner. <laughs> I like seriously found this in a search. I was looking for an OB post, and it just cracked me up. And so I saved it. It's out there on Getty. I welcome you to go find this couple, and because it just every time I look at it, it makes me laugh. <laughs> but you know, seriously, those failures, that bad content, um, just like in life, you know, it's teaching us something. It's teaching us to do our our jobs better and. Um, make sure that our content is really connecting with our audience. HCIC Next is made possible by Greystone.net, the Healthcare Internet Conference, and Touchpoint Media. 
To learn more about this show and others like it, visit us online at touchpoint.health.